Good morning. I hope you have your Bible with you. We're going to go ahead and dive back in to the Gospel of Mark as we look at the story of Jesus. Realize it's been a little bit since we've been in here, so we're coming back to it. Um, and there's nothing more rewarding, really, than spending time looking at the life of Christ. And so we're going to dive into chapter 2 here and actually finish chapter 2. We left off last time finishing up verse 22. We'll pick it up in verse 23. And let me go ahead and read the passage in Mark 2, 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Of course, they were at this point following him around, trying to trip him up. Well, they, were, they considered them to be doing something that was unlawful on the Sabbath. In verse 25, it continues, and he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Well, the Sabbath, uh, this is a, a word that means rest, the idea here is that of taking a physical rest uh, from labor and from effort. Um, the first time the word is used is actually in Exodus chapter 16, where, um, where Moses is leading the people through the wilderness and God is providing manna for them. And um, God is providing double manna on the sixth day of the week, which would have been Friday. And uh, um, a double portion of manna was available for people to pick up so that they wouldn't have to come out on Saturday, the Sabbath, uh, in order to collect. They were to rest. Well, in that particular instance, the people went out on Saturday looking to collect more and there was nothing there for them. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, how long will you guys transgress my commandment to you? You're supposed to go rest. And so they went back to their homes, but they began to learn that this idea of taking a day of rest was something that God considered to be very important. Now, even prior to that, um, we, uh, and, and ultimately that was codified in the fourth commandment, the idea that you should honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. No work will be done in all of this. Well, the earliest, uh, uh, or the, uh, the point in the scripture where we begin to see this concept uh, born is actually way back in the beginning when God created uh, uh, the heavens and the earth. And so as a matter of fact, let's go ahead and if you will, just jump back to Genesis uh, chapter two just to see the very origins of this idea of the Sabbath. In Genesis chapter two, the very first book of your Bible, uh, the first few verses of chapter two, we see this concept that would ultimately become known as the Sabbath, uh, really born out in the end of creation. And so notice here how the scriptures read. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. In other words, God has finished his creative work. Uh, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And because on it, God rested from all his work which he had done in creation. And so the six days of creation, and then we come to the seventh day, and God rests. And so, um, by the way, a little bit of trivia here for you that uh, I really owe this to Chuck Missler. It was a kind of a fun little thing here. Um, on the first, the six days of creation, on all but one of them, God makes the comment that he saw what he created and it was good, except for the second day. 
On the second day, there's just this description of, of God's creation and everything, but he doesn't necessarily talk about how it's good. And so uh, if you break down the days of the week, the, if, the seventh, if the sixth day of the week, uh, if the seventh day of the week is the Sabbath, and that's Saturday, that means the first day of the week is Sunday. What's the second day of the week? Monday, the one day that God didn't say was good. And so we've got a long history of Mondays being a real bummer kind of a day. So anyway, take that for what it's worth. It's a party joke, I guess. But okay, so anyway, so we've got the Sabbath, which really finds its roots in the beginning. When God finishes the creation, he takes the seventh day and he rests. Now, of course, God is not tired from this, but he's setting a pattern for man to follow. And he anchors it to the idea that he rested in his work on the seventh day. And he builds again into the law this idea that on the seventh day, there was supposed to be a day of rest for the people uh, from their labors. They're not supposed to go out and work. They're not supposed to till the ground. They're not supposed to go out and try and earn their living. They're supposed to take a rest. Uh, and it's a very physical thing. Primarily, the law is given here for the physical benefit of the people. God's law tells them to not work, but to rest. Um, now, um, there, there are spiritual implications and, and models built on this, but primarily the idea was that they were to rest. Now, there was also a thing called the Sabbath of the land, uh, and, the, and the Sabbath of the land uh, meant that every seventh year, once they entered the promised land, every seventh year that they would work the ground, the seventh year was supposed to be a Sabbath for the land, so they wouldn't work the ground for that year. And that would give the ground, the land, a chance to sort of replenish and, and sort of you know, recover uh, from all of its you know, being worked. Six years, they could work the land and, and reap the benefits from, from their labors. But the seventh year, the ground was supposed to lie uh, uh, untouched and just allowed to, to continue to, or to just recuperate. Uh, as a matter of fact, God held that law so important to them. You can read about this in Leviticus chapter 26, 2 Chronicles 36. We see where God um, judges them and actually allows them to go into Babylonian captivity for ultimately 490 years uh, uh, for, to make up for all of the years that they did not honor the Sabbath of the land. Well, this figures into Daniel's 70 weeks and all these different things. It's just interesting how these pieces all come together. But just keeping it on the subject of the Sabbath itself, God actually held them, uh, held this in such uh, high importance that he actually allowed his people to be taken off into captivity so that the land itself could get its Sabbath rest that they'd never given it. And so, uh, as always, I'll put these, uh, uh, these passages in the notes so you can, you can kind of track them down and all. But this idea of the Sabbath, this idea of a Sabbath rest, is something that God commanded his people. Uh, in, in Isaiah 55, there is this uh, call to, this, to uh, 55 or 57. I'll, I'll make sure I put the reference there. But there is the call to the foreigner uh, to come and join himself to the Lord. And if he'll be circumcised and keep the Sabbath, he can be part of the, he can become a, a proselyte, he can become part of the people of God, uh, even as an outsider. And so this concept of the Sabbath was an integral, int, uh, uh, an integral covenant sign for Israel. Um, now, and that'll be important as we discuss whether or not the Sabbath is for us by, in terms of the law and that kind of a thing. Um, but for Israel, there was no question. This was something that is part of their law. Now, that brings us to the passage we began with in Mark chapter 2. 
as Jesus and his disciples are walking through the fields, uh, his disciples start picking little heads of grain off of the, uh, the stalks and they're just kind of threshing them in their fingers and getting a little chaff off of there and they're just eating the little, the grain uh, and the, the wheat and such. And the Pharisees who already again by this point are beginning to watch Jesus and try and figure out if he's one who honors the, the law or if he's teaching against the law. And of course this will develop into their uh, hatred for him as they realize that uh, that he is in fact um, speaking about such like he's going to hear. He's going to redefine in their minds. Actually, it's bringing clarity uh, to to the understanding of what the law means, and they will resist him for this kind of a thing. Well, we see that happening here. They call out Jesus' disciples, and so Jesus speaks to them. And first, he gives them an example. Uh, oftentimes in these confrontations, Jesus will either bring up examples in the past or he will just bring right back down to the, the original point of, of, of a passage in the Old Testament or of a, a point of the law, and he will strip away from it all of the things that the Pharisees have added to it. That's really the point of contention here. The Pharisees were not only custodians of the law, but in their effort to make sure that the law was kept, they actually added additional requirements to the law in order to make sure that it wasn't broken. For example, this one, no working on the Sabbath, fourth commandment. This is something that God said that, that Israel was not supposed to do. Well, the Pharisees uh, and, and the religious leaders uh, throughout uh, time, the time, their time up to this point were fond of, of adding prescriptions to the law again, in an effort to make sure it wasn't broken. So in this particular case, the idea that the disciples were plucking heads of grain and kind of threshing with their fingers and eating implied in their minds that they were breaking the Sabbath because they were harvesting and they were working by threshing this grain in their fingers and that this was considered work in the minds of the Pharisees. Uh, as a matter of fact, even today, we see this kind of a thing still going on uh, in Israel. We have uh, uh, rules that uh, that have have culminated in, in things like Sabbath elevators, because if you push the button on the elevator, then you're doing work and you're violating the Sabbath. And so, therefore, elevators, uh, as I recall when I was there, they, the, they explained this to us, where the elevators would simply go up and down each floor, so that you wouldn't have to push the button. Uh, and then uh, you couldn't, you can't walk more than a thousand feet on the Sabbath. Even today in Israel, if you're a Gentile walking down the street on the Sabbath and, and, and you're doing things, you're working or something, uh, you'll be reprimanded by, by observant uh, Jews. And so it's, uh, uh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And it's all in an effort to be obedient to the law. But here in the Pharisees' case, they've gone beyond just um, um, obeying the law or trying to keep the law. They've actually made it an incredible burden to keep the law. Uh, the law itself was far more than just the Ten Commandments. There were 613 uh, civil religious uh, laws that, that ultimately were given to Moses. And on top of that, you had additional writings, things like the Mishnah and such, that were, that were put together by, uh, by various rabbis and teachers throughout Israel's history that were explaining and prescribing how these laws were to be kept and what practices needed to be kept in order to not violate the law of God. Well, even if we grant that the intention may have been good, we want to make sure that the people don't go too far and violate the law. Even if the intention may have been good, it ultimately became so uh, ingrained in the minds of the people that the, the rabbis and Pharisees' teachings were considered akin 
to the law. They were like considered part of the law. And if you violated the Pharisees' teachings, it was as if you were violating the law. Jesus would condemn them for this and say that you, because of your traditions, have ultimately elevated them to being on uh, even higher footing than God, God's word. And he condemned them for this. Um, and so, of course, that'll preach in itself. There's a lot of, uh, it's very important for us to make sure that we don't go beyond the scripture in our, uh, in our, in our endeavor to walk with God. We, we make sure that we understand what God has said in regard to uh, obedience and holiness in that. When we begin to add additional prescriptions to it, or we begin to sort of have our own traditions um, that we believe uh, need to be obeyed to be a good Christian, then, um, then, then we run into some trouble. I'll bring up a really uh, hot button one. Uh, let's talk about something like drinking, just by way of example in this arena we're talking about. The Bible does not prohibit drinking. Now, by the way, I don't drink. As a pastor, I just choose not to. I think it's just a good part of a, a, a pastor's testimony uh, not to ever have someone point a finger and wonder about them for drinking. So I choose not to. But that's not because the Bible says I can't. It's just my own personal choice and conviction on this. If I begin to teach other believers that it's a sin to drink, well, I've I have now become pharisaical. I've now gone beyond what the scriptures say. I should teach what the scriptures do say about this. We shouldn't be drunk with wine. You know, who has bruises? Who has the room spinning and all these things? But those who linger long over drink and wine, as the Proverbs say, we should make sure that we understand, or like Paul says, uh, don't be drunk with wine or in his dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, so we shouldn't be drunk and all those things. But to say that somebody can't drink, that's not really what the scripture says, is it? And so we've got to be very careful that we, in our effort to, to encourage holy living, don't go beyond what the scriptures say. And if we do, we're falling into the same error that the Pharisees did and that Jesus condemned them for. So that being said, we come back to the Sabbath. They had built so many rules and regulations on top of the idea of Sabbath obedience that it actually, rather than being a commandment that was given for the sake of the rest of for people to find rest, it instead became a tremendous burden. And so he points to the example of David. And he says, look, David and his men ultimately ate uh, some of the showbread that was really not permitted for them to eat. But nevertheless, David and his men ate in that circumstance because they were hungry, they were starving, they needed something to eat. And so Jesus says here that in the one sense, yes, that was set aside for something sacred. But on the other hand, God considers the physical needs of those uh, of, of, of his creation. And so if it came to a matter of life and death, the idea was that God was going to care for people and keep them preserved rather than a, a, a particular observance. And so um, in this particular case, Jesus uses that example to say, look, the Sabbath was created for man. It's for the benefit of man to find rest uh, and to rest their bodies in that. It is not intended to be a burden. Man was not created for the sake of observing the Sabbath. The Sabbath was actually a gift to man from God and was codified in the law. Uh, and he goes on to finish the statement by saying that the, 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 the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. As God, Jesus is the one who ultimately instituted the Sabbath. And it's therefore his prerogative to define what it means and how it's to be observed and, and to explain its, its original intent. Well, of course, the Pharisees and scribes would not like that and, and this would be one of those things that no doubt set them back a little bit and began to move them in a direction of wanting to ultimately condemn him. 
Um, but this clarity was important because for the people, they had grown up under this heavy weight, even on a day that was supposed to be about rest, it was a burden to keep it. And Jesus cleared that up. Now, what about today? What about for you and I as Gentiles in the church? Now, by the way, if you're a believer who uh, grew up in the Jewish faith and you've come to believe in Yeshua, uh, the Messiah, uh, you may wrestle with this question because the observance of the law was an important thing for you growing up. And now that you're a Christian, what does that mean? Uh, how do I, is this something I'm, I'm required to observe now? Um, well, let me, let me just suggest to you that on the one hand, honoring holy days and Sabbaths and, and festival days like Passovers and stuff can be a very enriching thing if you've come out of Judaism. And I think even it can be very instructive for us as Gentiles in the church. But the question of whether or not it's required, that's a different thing. It's one thing if we uh, have like a Passover Seder on Good Friday or something like that, because we sort of want to see the meaning of, uh, we want to see Christ in the Passover as uh, groups like Jesus for Jesus will, 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 will do these uh, presentations with that in mind. Um, those are good things for us to do because we can see the person of Christ and the elements of the practices and such. But again, that's a different question. Is it okay to observe those things for educational benefit, if you will? That's a different question than is it required of me to observe like, like I was under the law? Well, the answer to that second question, is it required of me and is it required of you, uh, even if you, uh, as, as, as a Jew, have come to put your trust in, in, in your Messiah? Um, the answer is no. Now, that sounds really radical. Even for Christians today that maybe have no direct connection with, with Judaism, that still sounds like, well, wait a minute, but it's in the Bible. We're supposed to honor the Sabbath. Um, let me speak to that for a moment. First off, if you're honoring the Sabbath on a Sunday, you're not honoring the Sabbath. The Sabbath was Saturday, so you're already kind of off by a day. Uh, and I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek just to kind of uh, lighten it up a little bit here. But here's, here's, here's what, what we need to understand about the law in general and the Sabbath as part of it. First off, uh, let me appeal to the very first council the church ever had. It's not Nicaea, it's not Hippo, it's not any of those other things. It's actually in Acts chapter 15. And for time's sake, I'll just encourage you to go ahead and read it, but let me summarize it. In Acts chapter 15, uh, the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. If you remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter is used by God to open the door to the Gentiles at Cornelius' house. Uh, Paul and Barnabas have also had success in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And now they're having a conference uh, uh, under, under, uh, under James, who's presiding over it. And the question is, do Gentiles need to come through Moses to come to Jesus? And again, I'm summarizing, but read the passage. The, dis the decision by all those gathered there, the disciples and those who were gathered, uh, ultimately James presides over it and says, no, Gentiles are not required to come through the law in order to ultimately receive Jesus. Now, that was a big deal because the question was, well, if, if, if the law is fulfilled in Christ, as he said, I've not come to destroy, but to fulfill the law. If in fact the law is fulfilled, then what of Judaism? What of its practices? What of all of this history that, we have, uh, that, we, that we've been practicing? Do we no longer have to do this? And simply put, the answer is no. I will invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, where Paul, uh, who himself was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he was uh, a teacher of the law. He was one of the, the leaders in Israel at one time before he came to Christ, before Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. 
Uh, in Acts chapters 8 and 9, we see his story unfold. Well, in Colossians, where it's, it's, a, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a place where he deals with this question head on. Uh, I always point to Galatians 3 as another thing where the law was intended to point us to Christ. Well, here, uh, Paul again speaks to this idea. Let me read a couple of verses from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ or the substances of Christ or Christ is the reality behind the shadow. In other words, these things were indicators of something else, but the indicator, the, the something else they were indicating was Jesus himself. Uh, so therefore, because these things are fulfilled in Christ, there's no longer a requirement for us to keep the law. Now, we could go even further and say, well, the law has always been for Israel. It's never been for Gentiles. Paul talks about this in Romans, where even though Gentiles didn't have the law, we have a conscience that God has given us. But the law was given, the oracles of God were given to the Jews, and this was their covenant with God. The Gentiles have never been under that covenant. Um, however, um, because the question arises, it's important for us to recognize that in Christ is the fulfillment of all of the prescriptions of the law. Now, that's an important thing for us to understand when we understand the gospel, because our general tendency is to think that uh, when we portray the gospel, that we need to portray God's grace. But there sometimes is this mistake we make of, of making it grace plus. In other words, if I come by, if I'm saved by God's grace through faith, again, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, uh, I don't, uh, you know, it, uh, um, remember, let's just turn to it. I know I'm going to paraphrase it, and I never want to do injustice to it. But the idea of, of, of salvation by faith through grace, by grace through faith, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and in particular verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared uh, beforehand that we should walk in them. So there is both this, this putting forth of the idea that we're saved by grace through faith, and that the works that we do, even in response to that, are things that God has laid before us to do. It's not so that we can earn it, but they're things that we do in response to it. And those works themselves are something that God has prescribed as a means of sort of responding to his grace, but they're not the basis for grace. In other words, there's no grace plus, it's just grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, and it is finished in his finished work. And so when we talk about the law and we hold it side by side with grace, we must understand the proper place that these two concepts have. The law was given to us, was given to the Jews really, but if we're going to look at the law of God, we understand both through understanding the Old Testament. Again, we, we, we consider what Paul said in Galatians 3 about the purpose of the law being that which ultimately led us to the person of Christ. The law shows us our inadequacy, our inability, our imperfection, our incapacity to keep it. Every one of us has not only done things wrong, we've thought things wrong. And Jesus made that point as well. It's not just that you physically do the violating of the law, but even if in your heart you hate, you've committed murder. If you lust after someone, you have committed adultery. Why? Because those outward sins first were birthed in the wickedness within our hearts.
And as Jeremiah says, you know, the heart is, is, is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, God knows it, he goes on to say. And because he knows it, he makes sure that we come to know it. He sees what's there, but he wants us to see what's there. Because once we do, we cry out to him and we say, much like Paul, you know, uh, what, you know, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God, Christ Jesus, my Lord, is the one who does this. And so we come to the cross empty, broken, recognizing our inadequacy, our sinfulness, and our inability to do anything about it. And we come to the cross and we fall upon the grace of God. And that's the beauty of the gospel. So when it comes to honoring the Sabbath, is it a good idea? Sure, you should give your body time to rest. I mean, it's a very practical commandment of God and it's for the benefit of man. So take advantage of it. Does it have to be on Saturday or you're violating the law? No, it's not. We're not under that. As a Gentile, you never were. Even as a Jew today, if you believe in Jesus, if Jesus, if you believe in the fulfillment of your faith in Christ, then you are no longer under that law, but you are now free in Christ. But it's still a wise idea from a physical standpoint. So go ahead and make sure you take a day to rest. Maybe it's, you know, it's, it's funny because we would think of Sunday being a day of rest. Well, if you're a pastor, Sunday's not a day of rest. And so for me, it might be a Monday or some other day of the week where I just hang out with my family and I don't do any work. Um, but just, you know, it, it's important to make sure that you have that from a physical standpoint, but you're not under a legalistic uh, or a legal or Old Testament law requirement to keep it. It's wise, it's just not required anymore. Uh, and so that said, uh, we finish up chapter two, and next time we're in the Gospel of Mark, we'll go ahead and dive into chapter three. As his ministry begins to expand, he continues to do miracles that, that testify to who he is. He continues to teach so that people might understand the truth that will set them free, and ultimately he will go to the cross and pay for our sins and rise from the dead on the third day. So praise the Lord. We're gonna go through these things over time. We're taking our time, obviously, but uh, we'll look forward to diving into that the next time we open to the Gospel of Mark. So let me go ahead and pray us out and uh, encourage you, by the way, if you have questions or thoughts about any of these things, you can always comment in the notes on our YouTube channel at calvarychapelfranklin.com. You can link to our YouTube channel from there, uh, or you can watch uh, these podcasts and comment on my own personal uh, website as well, which is parsonspad.com. These videos are also posted there as well, so you can connect that way. But, uh, and you can also listen, by the way, if you are, uh, would rather listen to these things rather than watch them, uh, you can subscribe on iTunes and, and various other podcasting outlets as well. So just trying to make teaching available for people to uh, have access to just going through the Word of God. And, uh, and my hope, by the way, in doing this is not just that you come here to hear the teaching of the Word of God, but that you yourself would dive into the Word of God yourself on a daily basis and spend time alone with the Lord in it and learn it yourself as well. It's like the manna we referred to uh, earlier back in Exodus. It's like that daily bread for your soul. And so let me encourage you to dive into it. All right, let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that Jesus fulfills the law, takes care of the problem of our sin by taking them upon his own shoulders and paying for them at the cross. And rising from the dead, he proved that death couldn't hold him down because he had no sin. He's perfect as God. And so we look to him as our savior and we worship him and we, and we, and we, and we just rejoice in being considered his children, those of us who follow him and are, and have confessed him as our Lord and savior. 
uh, and have put our trust in him. And Father, if there's any out there who have not done this, but are just listening to these things and wondering, what do I do to have eternal life? How can I become a follower of Jesus? Father, I would uh, just ask you to put it into their hearts, even right now as they're listening, to pray in response to this tug that you've put onto them. As the Holy Spirit is beginning to draw them and uh, draw them ever closer to that point of, of stepping into that relationship with Jesus, I pray that right now, as they're at that place, that they would pray to receive him right now. And if that's you, I invite you to pray with me this very, very simple, straightforward prayer uh, and receiving Christ as your own Lord and Savior and receiving his grace. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I know that I might have been fooling everybody else, but I've never fooled you. You've always seen me for what I am. And I just pray that, Lord, I could leave that life behind as I put my trust in you. I believe that Jesus took all of those sins of mine and took them to the cross and died for them, for every last one of them. And I believe that. And I put my trust in him now as my Savior and also as my Lord. I want to follow him all the days of my life. So fill me with the Holy Spirit. Teach me to walk in his ways as I study your word. Help me to honor you with my life all the way up until I see you face to face. Thank you for loving me and for saving me. Thank you for the promises that I'm going to discover as I learn what it means to walk with you. Thank you for the future and the hope that lie ahead for me in heaven. And thank you for calling me your child. I love you and praise you for your grace and love for me. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for those of you who may have prayed that prayer, by the way, uh, if you're asking yourself, okay, now what do I do? If you're not asking yourself that, you will at some point. So let me just preemptively speak to it. Um, I would encourage you, as I just mentioned, to, to reach out. Let me know. And I'd make sure you have a Bible. can help you kind of start getting started and studying it. Uh, a really important thing I want to do is help you get into a good local church. Uh, it's good that you watch a podcast. I watch podcasts. I listen to teachers and stuff too. Um, but it's good for you to be with other believers who are growing in their faith in a church that teaches the word of God so that you can go through it just like we do here, verse by verse. We take passages and we understand them so that we can grow in our faith. It's good for you to be in a church that does that. And so we want to help you find one nearby. And uh, of course, encourage you to watch this as well. But reach out and let me know so that we can pray for you and just, again, help you take those steps in beginning to walk with Jesus. It's important uh, to me that you be discipled and that you grow, uh, not just pray a prayer, but that you grow with Jesus. So that said, I uh, look forward to continuing in the word of God with you. Thanks for joining this morning and God bless you.